Vodka. 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 Vodka Hey everyone, it's Amber Love of Vodka Clock Podcast from AmberUnmapped.com. Don't forget that the website is uh, 18 plus usually, um, but there's uh, plenty of safe blog information there. I just tend to be pretty vulgar just to give you a warning. Um, and... Uh, I sound a little groggy and stuff today, so uh, hopefully my voice won't give out or anything, because today I get to have back on the show Jenny Wood, who you've you've heard before, and I'm just really excited she had time this weekend to uh, to get caught up. So thanks for coming back, Jenny. Thanks for having me again. It's always great to talk to you. So... Um, we have so so much it's like the year of you you know i hope this is like the big the big launch of things just starting to to take off for you um we will let's recap about our adventures in boston um in case right. anybody did, didn't uh, follow along to to all of that um uh i'll i'll let you explain about the the panel and how everything came together well, we did a queer comics panel with Tana Ford and Joey Stern of Geeks Out, and that happened. Tana emailed me earlier in the summer and asked if I wanted to do a queer comics panel with her. She she had the idea to do a proposal, and what was really funny about that is I had a lot of stuff going on at the time, and, and Boston Comic Con sent an email out saying, hey, we've got room for more panels this year, send us a proposal, and I really wanted to do one, but it was like the deadline was a week away and I just hadn't, it was one of those weeks we all have where you just have too much going on. I'm like, I would love to do that, but I don't have time. And the next day Tana emailed me and she's like, I think I want to do a proposal. Would you want to do this with me? And I said, yes, I'd love to. And it just was great to have someone else take the ball initially on that. And then she got back to me and asked if I'd help organize it. And if I had any friends in mind and you came to my mind right away uh, and so I reached out to you, and you were all for that. And then um, we talked some more, and, and uh, I think it was you, actually, who suggested Geeks Out. And I then reached yeah. out to them, and uh, Joey said yes. So we had our panel. That was amazing because I um, I was unfamiliar with Tana, and, oh, my God, what a, a, I love her to pieces. Yeah, she's and, great. We met, she and I met at Boston Comic-Con in 2010, so that's where we met. Oh, cool. Very cool. And then her books um, sold out, like, the, the that day, so I didn't even get the chance uh, to get over to her table and, and get a copy. She, she wrote uh, the graphic novel, Duck. And um, Bridget Alverson was our moderator, which was like mind blowing to me because I, you know, I've been following her for quite a while. So I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be on a panel and Bridget Alverson's going to be there. And and I have and my my body of work is so small. I'm, I don't know what to say. And <laughs> um, but it was it was really cool because I remember beforehand, uh, you know, we would just like whisper to each other, what if nobody comes? What if nobody comes? But they had they had to turn people away because the room was filled to capacity. Yeah. And um, and I think that's a really good sign. I mean, it made us feel feel amazing that people wanted to hear what we had to say anyway. Um, but it was just a really good sign that there's a, a population at comic conventions 
for that sort of discussion and people want to want to hear it and um, all shows should, you know, at least welcome the idea if they can get the panelists involved um, because it, it was, it, I, I don't know, I guess maybe because it was my first time doing one that I, I didn't feel that it was cliche. No. And, you know, I got a lot of great feedback the the rest of Saturday and, and on Sunday. A, a lot of people came up to my booth and said they loved that the panel was so positive about queer comics and about just where we are and where we're headed. They just love the positivity. You know, and it's not that we um, avoided issues or it didn't tackle tough questions, but they just felt really good coming out of that panel about the state of LGBTQ comics and the future. And so I think that, um, that in, in that aspect, it was very different from the feedback I heard from people who were there. Right. And having, um, having Joey from Geeks Out was helpful because people might not have even known that an organization existed to promote any of this sort of uh, comic book work. And, you know, and the fact that they're there, if the reason that I, I usually end up talking to people about Geeks Out is because I have their t-shirt that says strong female character. And um, I get stops every time I wear that shirt. People love that shirt. So as soon as I, you know, there's a photo of me in it somewhere, I make sure to tag them so that way people know where to get it because it's, it's a just fantastic thing that we often riff on. I actually um, just ordered that shirt because, because the first person I ever saw wearing that shirt was you. And I <laughs> some more shirts for cons, and that's the first shirt I thought of. It's great. Uh, if anybody is interested in hearing the panel or or actually seeing it, um, my friend Allie recorded it for us, and uh, so it's up on my YouTube channel. And if you go to amberonmess.com, you can um, find uh, in the podcast tag that uh, I I put it up as an episode of Vodka O'Clock. So the whole thing is is there and, and recorded, and it has everybody's information. Um, where to find all of us because I mean, it, it's another great thing that, you know, um, well, until recently, like Tana just got, I guess, a, some Marvel work, but otherwise, you know, we were these uh, small indie people that people might not have been familiar with either, but you know, she's going to be all famous and stuff now. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it, it's great. It's, it's, I find the whole, comic community so welcoming you know and opportunities uh just come up she just got the the marvel thing and uh i'm so happy for her and it's just it's amazing to watch uh watch artists and and writers grow and and just be welcomed into into comics it's so much harder doing um, breaking in into other aspects of publishing, I, you know, I've experienced uh, firsthand it and watched it happen with other people. I just the comics community uh, and and the industry, uh, in my experience, has been just so welcoming and giving of information. That's good because um, you know we see unfortunate things. Um, you know, I try to I try to stay. Uh, somewhat tuned in but not tuned in enough when I start feeling like it's affecting my 
like health um, when the bad things happen in pop culture. So um, like right now when we're recording this, it's September 2014 and we're, um, you know, at this peak of this thing called Gamergate where um, a journalist who did her job uh, it has been harassed nonstop. And then, you know, Anita Sarkeesian, who does the uh, women versus tropes video game documentaries, uh, she gets attacked nonstop. I don't know how she how she does it. Like, I just don't know how she does it every day and gets up and has a presence online because people are like they try to hack into their accounts. You know, and in comics, we saw this with Janelle Aslan, you know, critiquing a comic book cover. And people not only tried to break into their social media and their email, but they try to get, like, get into their bank accounts and stuff. And then they it it's ridiculous. Like there's it's a great time for comics and a, a great time for all indie creative development. And yet it's a really scary time, too, because there's people feel so entitled to information that's not theirs so it's it's great and scary at the same time right well all of the I mean the common link and and all the people that you mentioned there are their women I have uh, a friend who uh, works for an online news site and and she wrote an article after the whole Hobby Lobby thing and the article wasn't um, extreme in any in any way and it, she got uh death threats, rape threats on social media. Again, it's, it's women. Um, I've, I've had a limited uh, a, attacking going on, on on my Facebook wall. And again, it was men attacking me. Um, and I think it's because, I, as a woman, you know, it's, it's like they feel like they can do it or they, they want to do it because uh, you're, I don't know. But it, it just happens so much more with women. It does. And it's it's not that anybody would say, oh, it never happens to male creators, because it does. Dan Slott gets death threats all the time. Um, but he's literally like the only person I can think of off the top of my head, whereas I don't I don't recall it, you know, anybody else except the rabid Spider-Man fans ever being like this. And, you know, it, that's one of the reasons that I got off of message boards. Um, because I felt like it was, um, it was hard to maintain a friendly environment there. Whereas at least when it's my own feeds, like, um, Twitter and Facebook and stuff, I can just unfollow people and I can mute them, block them and report them and whatever. That usually goes nowhere when you report them, by the way. Um, usually nothing happens, but I, I just feel like, like the, the, it's my action to take at that point. Whereas on message boards, I just don't feel like that's necessarily there. So um, I know that CBR, I guess, just implemented a policy to start moderating, which they had never done because I, I didn't for a while on YouTube, I had originally allowed people to comment even anonymously figuring if somebody wants to be an asshole, let them be an asshole and let the world see it. And, um, you know, one particular video, just literally 50% of the comments were, were hateful. So some of them I'd let through depending on the day for that reason, just be like, oh, let the world see that you're an asshole. And then other times I was just like, I don't 
I'm not giving you my energy and would report it. Um, it's, you know, those are hard decisions that we have to make sometimes. And sometimes I, it's almost like people want an engagement. They want to know, well, why is this upsetting you? Like, why is this cover of Spider Woman bothering you so much? It doesn't hurt you. Don't buy it. And I'm sort of of that opinion, too. I'm like, I don't like that. I'm not going to buy it. But um, when people feel that it's a social issue and say, this is how female characters are being treated, well, now that's a much bigger discussion than just me not liking something. And I'm not necessarily the best person to engage in that discussion <laughs> and, and, and tell you, you know, explain to somebody why it's a problem. But I think you should be allowed to have those talks without it coming down to rape threats and, you know, hacking. That's absurd. Like what just happened to all of these female celebrities. It's absurd. Yeah. I, I still can't believe that. Well, I guess I can believe that it would happen, but it's just it's a huge invasion of privacy and the argument that, you know, don't put that stuff out there. Well, you know, you're doing stuff in the privacy of your own home. You right. Know? And you're doing that with someone that you love and trust. Um, and so you, and you should be allowed to do that. And right. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, it's just, it's very unsettling. Definitely. Um, it was. And, um, I, I can't remember. Somebody asked, um, what the difference was between this and like, um, like revenge porn. And the difference is, is I don't think they know necessarily who is responsible yet because it's not a single person. Yeah. A single person started it, but it became a hive, um, you know, a, a collection of people, not just on Reddit, not just on 4chan, but um, it became a, a big, you know, a much larger population than saying, okay, this one person's responsible, take the content down, you know, he, you know, here's how we arrest these people or, or whatever. Uh, when, when it's revenge porn and you, you know, if your content gets up there somehow from an ex that hates you enough to do that, you know, who's responsible. Right. Um, well, and a lot of this is so new that law enforcement doesn't, they don't know how to investigate. They're still trying to figure out how to find the people and, and then what to do, you know? Right. It's all so, so new still. Right. And the threats are veiled in such a way sometimes where it's just they'll say things like, I know where you live or I know where your kids go to school. It's not really a threat. It's just a statement, but it's threatening. Yeah. And it's hard to take that to, to law enforcement and say, you know, I'm scared. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, bringing this back to why the – the panels are important at conventions. This is why, because it, it fosters a healthier environment. Um, you know, I, I can't even figure that there was a single like negative thing that came out of our, our queer comics panel because it seemed like everything was supportive and encouraging. Definitely. I mean, that was the feedback that I got. I got a ton of people who stopped by and uh, just wanted to say what a great experience it was, how positive it was. I, I would ask people, you know, if we didn't cover something, if there was a question uh, and they, they loved uh, 
the variety of questions. I think we had a panel of people from very different points of view, um, mm -hmm. you know, different, we're just from kind of different walks of life. Um, and, and so that we had, we covered a wide range of, of issues and uh, got, you know, Tana and I both um, lesbian writers, very, very different from very, very different backgrounds, you know, like Ariel Shrag potential. Uh, that's like a graphic novel series that helped me come out um, that mm -hmm. uh, I embraced. Uh, it, it was a talking point and it was too sad for Tana. You know, we're two very different people. And, and then you've got uh, such a, a wide variety of um experience as a writer and a podcaster and you're out there and and you have a, a, a different point of view and then Joey has a different point of view and it was I think just a great panel right I do say it to myself <laughs> it was no it absolutely was you deserve all the, the the pats on the back you and Tana for arranging that whole thing well, and, thank you and for coming you know that's a and, long trek for you it it was and it was it was a good time um and you know of course thanks to to the the Boston con organizers for, yeah. you know, supporting it and letting it exist. And they had, um, you know, really good, uh, just technical support there too. There was, um, somebody running their audio board and I mean, we were one mic short, but, uh, the quality came out really well, at least I think on the, the podcast upload that I did and stuff. So they, you know, they also had their act together with that and they seemed to be well organized. Um, so I think they did a good job too, which some, some conventions, you just hear that things aren't, don't run that smoothly. <laughs> right. It's um, only their second year at that Seaport World Trade Center. But each year, Boston, they've outgrown it. Right. It gets bigger and bigger and they, they adapt as fast as they can. I mean, last year they had to change the venue because of the Boston Marathon bombing, reschedule, get used to this new venue. And so it's only their second year there. Yeah. And it was hugely popular. I could not even walk up and down the aisles. So I didn't get to see too much of the show. I got to uh, see, I think, almost all of Artist Alley. Um, but other than that, it was, there were just there was a lot of congestion walking walking around because there's people everywhere, which is great to see. But even um, standing in line, because I went to uh, like a DC Comics panel, and it, there was just so many people, and they had it in this really beautiful amphitheater. So, uh, you know, another nice thing that I could say about that center, if they stay there, uh, it was it was comfortable, you know, um, and. It's just, you know, the lines were long. You're always going to have that when there's, like, celebrity people to, just, you know, to contend with. Um, but otherwise, I'm uh, I'm missing Baltimore this weekend, as are you. Um, and then New York is coming up soon for us. Yes. So I don't know anything. I wish I was doing, a, you know, a panel or something there, but I don't know anything about uh, the activities going on there except that they – are trying to do this big 10-day super week, and there's concerts and lectures and stuff throughout the city, different nights. Um, but the weekend before that uh, is technically their their start, which 
upsets me because October 4th and 5th is our big fundraiser at Comic Fusion for the domestic violence shelter. So uh, that's our big superhero weekend. If anybody is around New Jersey, come and see us and bid on the, the wonderful things that people donate to our auction. And uh, we'll, of course, have great costumers. The 501st always comes out and supports us. And um, a lot of superhero costumes and some Doctor Who costumes planned for this year. And then, so then after that is the actual official New York Comic Con weekend, which is um, like the 9th through the 12th. So um, are you having a, a table or anything? At New York, I'm going to be at the 215 booth for a little while and then the Geeks Out booth for a little while. And then Friday late morning, I'm doing a panel. I don't have the final information on what the panel is called, but it does. Uh, we will be talking about strong female characters. Um, I think the panel goes from, I don't know, it's around 11 a.m. on Friday. I don't, again, I don't have the final uh, information on that. And then you and I, along with uh, Dylan Edwards and uh, Maria Burnham, uh, we're doing um, the queer comics, uh, a, a reading that Friday night at the LGBT Center, and I'll have more information on that soon. You can go to the BGSQD site. Uh, they're hosting the event for us, and we're going to be reading uh, just uh, from different works. I, I wanted what I wanted because at a lot of these, especially the huge conventions, it can become about. TV and film and, and all the big major uh, comics and artists. And I wanted a, an evening to celebrate writing and the writers who are involved in comics and not necessarily reading uh, from a comic work, although some of us will be. Uh, I'll be reading from my YA novel, um, but I think I think Maria might be doing, I don't know. I mean, she could do essays, nonfiction, anything. Uh, she's got a, a wide variety of stuff to read from, but... Um, I just wanted an evening where we celebrate uh, the writing. As a reading, we're going to have a reception, beer and wine. Before, that's Friday night at 7 p.m. at the LGBT Center in Manhattan. So I'm hoping that'll be a nice just celebration of comic writers. Yeah, and it's um, – so it's off-site. It's not at the Javits where the convention right. is. And, um, you know, it's that more, you know, beatnik feel to it and even my friends have been doing noir at the bar in manhattan which i haven't been able to get to um but for the exact same reason they just want to they just want to celebrate a particular genre that they love so they do readings from crime fiction um you know at a nice bar or something and uh yeah so i think that started in la i'm not sure where it originally was founded but i had been uh noticing that a lot of LA people were doing it. And I was like, oh, why don't we have that here? And of course, somebody started it, but they had to put it in Manhattan. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I, I just like that because it's not, a, the, it's not the hustle and bustle of the convention. Right. Um, you know, that does, you know, that can be really chaotic. But I'm, I'm glad that you'll be at the 215 booth, obviously, because they've been publishing, you know, some of your works. So, um, Flutter, the full collection is out, right? For volume one anyway. Yes, we have volume two. We're going to have out by next summer. The goal is to debut that at San Diego Comic-Con next July. 
And then the East Coast debut will be at Boston Comic-Con. They haven't announced dates yet for Boston Comic-Con, but I'm assuming it's going to be in August again. Okay. And that's um, your your art partner on that was, is Jeff McComsey for the first volume. Is he staying for the second? Yes. Yes. And, uh, I, you know, I've written the script for volume two, two is done. Jeff is working on the art right now. And uh, the arc that I wrote for volume two has a, 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 it, an ending that it doesn't wrap it up tightly in a bow, but if we don't do a volume three, it's a, definitely a satisfying ending. And I wanted to write it that way just in case, uh, you know, we felt like uh, being done after volume two. Okay. And um, you, so your YA novel, A Boy Like Me, just came out. You just had your big launch party. So congratulations. So happy. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, the launch party was a lot of fun. I had a dance party at Machine, which is an LGBT nightclub here near Fenway Park. And uh, thankfully, it was a night that there wasn't. I planned it on a night where there wasn't the Red, a Red Sox game. They were out of town. And so it was easy to get to. We had a huge turnout, a uh, lot of people dancing, just a ton of fun. So I think think a launch dance party is the way to go. You know, it's, that does sound fun. I just want, you know, I wanted I wanted to be a fun occasion for everyone. I, I love bookstores. Uh, and the you know, kind of the old school romance uh, of uh, the bookstore with the wooden floor and the old school readings. But I and I did a reading. I, I read on the dance floor and then we uh, turned off the lights and, and all danced. And this is also published by Two and Five Inc.? Yes. I okay. uh, had an agent who uh, really loved a boy like me and we shopped it. We were shopping it to traditional publishers and um We'd gotten really great feedback on the writing uh, from some of the traditional publishers, and some of them we hadn't heard from. The, the, the ones we had heard from loved the writing. They wanted me to change uh, elements that I just didn't want to change. Um, I really believe in this story. It deals with uh, transgender protagonists. I'm uh, not trans, a transgender individual, but it is a, a subject that is very, very important to me. I did a, a year of research, uh, reading firsthand account interviews uh, before I wrote this, and then I spent another two years writing it. The last year before this last year before I put it out, I uh, had a, a trans man who is the same age as my protagonist go through it with me and just be the content consultant on it, give me feedback. I just wanted to make sure I got every detail right. That was very, very important to me because I feel like there's there's a lot of stuff out there um, that is just bad stereotypes. And, uh, you know, I went through a period with this novel where I was like, I'm not a trans individual. You know, what right do I have to put this out? But I realized it's not that we need uh, less stories. It's we need better stories. So I, I worked with Tate Fox. He was the content consultant on this and just make sure we got all the details right. And around that time, I was still waiting to hear back from the traditional publishers through my agent. And he was still very supportive. But to Andrew at 215 Inc. approached me about publishing it through them. And I'd had a great experience with Flutter with those guys. And, uh, decided, yeah, let's do it, because that way I get to keep it uh, the way I want it. I get to control everything. I get to have a hand on every press release. 
making sure all the language is right, making sure it's marketed right, it's put out there in the right way, all the content I control, the book cover, I had my friend Sarah Prusky uh, design the cover and the design, the do the, all the art designs at the back and front of the cover. Because if I went with a traditional publisher, I wouldn't be able to pick the artist to do the cover. Uh, you know, they could do anything to it. I wouldn't be able to look at the press releases before they go out or have a hand in that. And when you're dealing with uh, uh, an issue that, that has just been, you know, any time like a, a talk show host has a transgender individual on, they want to know about surgeries. They want to, they ask all these invasive questions. And there's just so much, you know, crap out there. And I wanted to put this book out there in a, in a respectful way and do it right. And 215 Inc. gave me the opportunity to do that. So a huge thank you to them. Um, yeah, I think when a, a, a book that you spent this much time on and, and deals with an issue that matters so much to you, uh, indie publishing is, is the way to go. I mean, it's self-publishing, too. Uh, you know, I have so much respect for anyone who does that, that there's such a stigma to self-publishing. And a lot of yeah. it is because uh, people just throw things up for sale and they don't have editors. And so for a boy like me, 215 Inc. is a, very, is a small group of guys, but my one uh, request was that I wanted someone to edit it. And uh, Mike Perkins, who is part of 215 Inc. and, and a great writer in his own right, uh, said he would edit it, and before I even took the book to him, I had uh, Kelly Ford, who is a brilliant editor, developmental editor, go through the whole book with me. We spent several weeks uh, just going through it, editing it, and then Mike came in, a fresh pair of eyes, and we edited the whole book. So I had two editors uh, because I just, again, you know, it's an issue that, that matters to me. It's a book that's been a labor of love, and I just wanted to do it right. Yeah, I, I love um, all of the folks from 215 Inc. that I've met. Mike has been on the show uh, a couple times, and he, he's so much fun to talk to, and they're they're so supportive, and they really seem to get behind any of the creators that they publish, which is nice. Um, and they they want to talk to, you know, anybody in the pop culture press, too. They're accessible and available. They make sure that they're – you know, all their creators are. Um, so it's, you know, I love swinging by their table if, you know, if I get that chance. Um, sometimes it's hard to find people at New York because it's such a big, <laughs> a big layout and it's uh, um, sometimes they change the layout and stuff. But uh, they're usually in small press. So um, I'm, you know, don't hold me to that this year, but I'm, I have a feeling that's where they'll they'll be again. Um, and the aisles there tend to be a bit more claustrophobic than than the aisles of the the main part where the bigger publishers are. So go look for the two one five ink booth for sure. Um, can you get Flutter and a Boy Like Me uh, only through them, or are there other ways to get those books? Uh, you can get Flutter at Comicsology. Um, you can get both of the books uh, through Amazon, of course. Uh, Flutter, I've, I've got Flutter in, in select uh, bookstores, especially around the Boston area. I'll do the same thing with A Boy Like Me. I'll have both books with me in New York. I'll have both books at, at our reading at the LGBT Center. Um, 
And uh, for right now, a boy like me, the the you know best place for people, unfortunately, uh, for better and for worse, is, is through Amazon. It's available on Kindle. Mhm. And I know I try not to. Uh... I try not to, to, you know, take sides there. Um, I just published my my first ebook through Kindle as well. Um, and it's only available through Kindle right now uh, because it's um, when you're not working with, a you know, maybe a bigger publisher or something, you sort of go the route that seems um, to get the biggest audience. So, well, and it makes it books. I mean, you know, they're they're still you have people out there, you know, in small towns all over the world who want to read uh, LGBT material and they can't get it at a bookstore or they're not ready to, you know, come out to the bookseller who is, you know, probably someone they've grown up with. You know what I mean? Like my book was released on Thursday and, you know, by lunch I had people reading it, you know, all over the, the country. Um, I had a guy in Houston, Houston, Texas, uh, reading a boy like me on his lunch. And he sent me a message. uh, And, you know, I mean, it's just it's about accessibility. There are I have readers of Flutter in Syria, which is just amazing. Um, And it's the Internet that is it. There, there's these great things like that that come from the internet, and and then the horrible things like we've discussed earlier on this podcast. Right. I I personally love when I can get something directly from a person at a signing or at the convention booth or whatever, just because I like that interaction myself. But on the other hand, I'm really enjoying reading digitally. It seems to be a lot easier on my eyes. So. Um, and it's taking up less space because, I mean, I have a lot of books. And if you've ever moved and you've packed your books up and had to, had to haul your books to another place, you know how cumbersome yeah. that can be. Yeah. So I, I am saying that I, 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 I am appreciating those two benefits of going digital. Um, so it's, you know, I'm not going to have somebody sign my Kindle by, you know, any stretch of the imagination. Although it's getting pretty old and slow and now it's starting to not respond once in a while. So um, it might be okay to take a silver Sharpie to it at this point, (laughs) just to the cover. Um, But, uh, you know, there's at least if you get the, the opportunity to meet their creator and say that you like their work or that you're looking forward to it, but you want to read it digitally. That's still great because I was there when everybody was coming up to your booth in Boston. And uh, like you said, you know, it was just amazing. You know, Gail Simone and uh, Greg Capullo and Scott Snyder, like these guys came over because they wanted to meet you and, you know, they wanted to meet you and say hi. <laughs> and then, and then Gail had, had one of the books like halfway read before like, the end of the day. Yeah, she sent her husband by to tell me she was enjoying it, which was just amazing, you know, great, because you know, Gail, someone buys your book, you're like, oh, what if she hates it? So it was, uh, yeah, it, that was great. That was, uh, that's why I love comic conventions. I mean, there's just, there's no uh, better, I, there's just a, no better event uh, to, to go to because you, you get to, to meet people and, and talk to people and get that, get that direct feedback, you know, get, get feed and, and just interact and, and, and make friends. I mean, there were, 
people at the launch party for a boy like me, uh, new friends, people I just met at Boston Comic Con this August. So it was just, it's just such a great. Uh, I was, yeah, I was lucky as well that people um, found me on Twitter and said that they, you know, had seen the panel and enjoyed the panel. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's just incredible. Like, thank you for coming. And, you know, it was a great opportunity. And, uh, you know, and, and anybody who takes the, the chance to, to listen to the podcast and, you know, spread that, those links around, it, it helps everybody, you know, like I said, it's, it's good that we have great experiences for comics and to share it when good things happen. <laughs> um, but, you know, I wanted to get back to one of the points that you made about how you were developing this character and you needed to have a consultant because, um, Two episodes ago, episode uh, 1429, I believe it was, uh, Michael Lark, who's the artist on Lazarus, uh, was my guest on the show. And he was, you know, he's a straight white man, and he had been asked to be on uh, a queer comics panel because uh, he and Greg Rucka had had worked on the story when the character Renee Montoya was outed. In uh, that's a the DC Comics police officer and uh, detective. She goes on to become the question later on in in her um, character development. But uh, Renee Montoya is one of the characters that always come up because she was handled so well. I mean, you know, even when bad things happen to her and. And, and whatever it is, even even if you're, you know, she's a character that you can get mad at for her behavior and still love the character and stuff like that. So, it, you know, people had asked Michael what he was doing on this panel and how, you know, how does he work on, on a character like this? And he had a great response. He just said, you know, it was about something private of hers being exposed and whether you're gay or straight or trans or, you know, you, people generally by a certain age have something that they want private and they want to handle in their own way. And, you know, like we were talking about these celebrity photos getting stolen and put all over the Internet, uh, you know, right. those are there's nothing shameful about what they were doing. It's like there's nothing shameful about somebody's you know private sex life it's none of nobody's business and um but it was something exposed that they didn't have the uh the control over handling that situation so i loved um you know michael's response to that and you know it's i wouldn't want to see a panel that was a bunch of straight white guys talking about about gay issues right but I think it's um, it's nice to have some inclusion. Oh, definitely, definitely. And I think with writing, I mean, you you want you want to. It's not about writing a character; it's about writing a human, and with flaws. And and uh, Peyton, my protagonist, and a boy like me has his flaws. I think for me, you know, I I didn't make a lot of changes uh, working with my content consultant on this at all. I and in fact. He read it and and gave me great feedback. Had a lot of great things to say. Um, you know, anything he said actually didn't have to do with the, the transgender element of the book at all. 
uh, it was more of a, a reassurance of like, yes, you, you hit all the, the, you know, the marks. Um, there's not uh, any, any language or, or the way things are referenced or anything w- was off. I, you know, I, I don't think I would, I, you know, I'm a, uh, a female, I'm a lesbian. I've written straight characters, straight men, straight women, mothers. I'm not a mother. I'm never going to be a mother. Um, although I think, you know, I, I did love the Jennifer Aniston quote of saying I've mothered many things and I don't like that. Yeah. Put that pressure on me. Um, I do think I have mothered things and been a, a mother or big sister, uh, to, to many things, but, um, you know, I wouldn't ask uh, for a consultant on, on anything else. I think it's because the issue mattered so much to me. And, uh, and there is a lot of controversy a- around it. Um, and I understand, I get all sides that when Jared Leto was nominated and when he won the Oscar for, for playing a, uh, a trans character in Dallas Buyers Club, there was a lot of controversy and it again raised, you know, here's a, here's a straight actor. Why can't a, trans actor play that part and you know for me from my point of view you know it should be the best person no matter what playing the part available Um, but I completely understand all sides of that argument and and because I do um, I just I I really just wanted to to reach out to to someone who was similar to my character and 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 have them read it. Yeah, I I agree, and that's why I was uh, relieved to hear you know somebody who's who's been in the business for a, you know a long time have have that sort of feedback and and you know because men write female characters and women write male characters and you know we write characters with superpowers sometimes you know it's things that are never going to happen to us that we can personally relate to but it's about finding the the metaphor that is relatable and you know that's why we have things like the x-men and um you know things that are you know handled well like spider-man is always like one of the go-to examples you know somebody who felt like he didn't have too many friends and would never get the girl and stuff like that um you know there were relatable elements even though none of us are building our own spider web shooters in our bedrooms <laughs> and then flying through uh, Brooklyn. Right. Um, it's, uh, it's, it is a good exercise, even if you fail to at least try and, and write something from somebody else's perspective that, you know, you, you might not think you have anything to say. Really, for me, the closer a character is to myself, the harder it is to write because you know, getting the, the thoughts out on the page because it's in my head. Um, the, um, the, the, the female character in my novel, the lead, Tara, who, who loves Peyton um, and sees him from the beginning, who he is and, and, and wants to embrace him and love him. And, and therefore he has to embrace and love himself. She was a lot harder to get on the page because she's, uh, she's just closer to me. Uh, so anytime there's a, there's a, a character like that, it's the more distance I have, the easier it usually is to write. That's interesting. It's, um, and it's good to hear, hear you say that 
because I love, uh, you know, different perspectives of people when, you know, a lot of the advice is always write what you know, you know, or, you know, and that's, there's always a little of us in every character we create, even when they're evil and yeah. serial killers and stuff. <laughs> there's always something, right, right. you know, there's, is obviously, I mean, we birthed these characters. Um, and, you know, and I do so much, uh, personal blogging that I'm so used to telling things from a personal perspective that it is it is harder to fictionalize that and just go well it's so me you know I need to make this not me <laughs> yeah I find yes I mean with any type of writing cliche show don't tell um, write, write what you know they're cliches for a reason yes 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 but for me I think it helps to write what I obsess about to write what you obsess because, you know, especially with a novel, it's about asking a question and not not answering it, but asking that question and exploring that question and letting the reader explore it and answer it if, if they want to. But uh, to write what you obsess, because with any type uh, of work, but especially a novel where you're talking about years of work, you need to be it needs to be a labor of love. It needs to be something you are just obsessed with and I mean obsessed with in a good way where you're just it, it just is something that means so much to you and and you're willing to go through all the revisions and workshopping it if you go that route with it and then all the rejection and all the people who want to take it and make it into something that you don't want it to be uh, so yeah write write what you obsess I think is the uh that that works for me, but again, you know, like you said, everybody's got their different uh, what gets them going, and their different mantras, and, and their different. It's a different process for everyone. I find it fascinating too the differences how different writers work. Right, and that's um, that's why workshops are a good opportunity. If anybody has that uh, that chance to do something like that, whether it's in person or online, because you you get to hear the different voices and um, everybody's processes are different. Some people love to outline, some people don't. I mean, I just interviewed uh, Josh Stallings, who's a crime writer, and he is what they call a pantser, which I, the first time I heard that, I was like, what are you talking about? What is a pantser? Is, you know, and I, um, I thought they were saying panzer, like the tank. So I was just like, uh, what? what is a pantser? I was, I was at a mystery writer's workshop and they said pantser. And they, with the assumption that people knew what it meant, it meant people who write, uh, you know, fly by the seat of their pants type of writing. They don't outline. They might know uh, key points of their stories. You know, you you know what ending you want to reach, or you know that you want a character in a certain situation. You just start writing. Those apparently are called pantsers. And um, I find that if, even though I enjoy writing that way, I don't finish anything that I start that way. <laughs> I need. I need to have stuff broken down. And um, yeah, everybody's different. That whole, you know, you have to write the same time every day. That works for some people. It doesn't for others. The whole, um, you know, you need to write every day and that doesn't work. I know some people who are very successful who only write on the weekends. Um, it's just, it's different for everybody. So these cliches, again, they're, they're there for a reason because they work, uh, for some people and they work well, but, but, uh, not for everyone. Right. Um, 
so tell uh, folks again, remind them in case they didn't listen to the past episodes uh, where you were on, what your workshop is and where, where they can get information about that. Uh, I, my, my website, JennyWood.com has all my uh, links to all the writing and all the workshops. I teach a graphic novel and comic writing workshop at Grub Street and Grub Street is a writing center at um, here in Boston, Independent Writing Center. And uh, I think my next, yeah, my next workshop is Friday, November 14th. It's actually a day workshop at 10, from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. here uh, in Boston. And Grub Street is a great center. Check out their website, grubstreet.org. That's awesome. Um, the workshops that I had done were online through Comics Experience. And uh, they're always uh, trying new things. They might try things as just um, small workshops for a day. They do a master class with people who have been in the comics industry for decades. Uh, there's a new uh, class on uh, if you're a creator to learn some legal things that you know you want to know about copyright and stuff like that, taught by my friend Joe. And uh, you know, so if you can't get to just like if you can't get to a bookstore that you need to get right. to, to to find the work that you want sometimes the answer is online and yes. um so that's that's what i had the opportunity to do because i live uh, in the middle of nowhere so <laughs> um Grub street has think, some online courses too i haven't done one yet for but, comics and graphic novels but they do have some online courses i i love it because it's it's motivating like I, you know, I usually in the winter, I'm so unproductive in the winter. It just, it absolutely brings me to a screeching halt. And, um, but if I have something that's motivational and hearing other people get through their projects and how everybody overcomes their slumps and challenges and um, sometimes it's, you know, oh, I got, you know, through 10 pages and my artist had to drop out for, you know, whatever reason. And, you know, just every challenge that you can think of, it's good to learn from other people and, and know that you're not alone out there in this uh, trying to make a creative world for yourself. Right. Well, and if you're workshopping and you, you've got 10 people reading your work, it's a great way to gauge gauge what uh what feedback you're going to get from the outside you know from readers when you put it out there into the world you're going to get a good uh variety of of different reactions kind of prepares you it prepares you to to let your work go out into the world because you you know what you're going to hear and i think that that's one of the there are many great things that come from workshopping and that's one of them so how do you personally find a balance between um, because, you know, you have to have your your regular day job and um, and a, a personal life and, <laughs> you know, you and you and you put up with, um, you know, you, you do travel, uh, you know, a little bit for conventions and things. And at the same time, you're um, creating content and you're and I w one of the things that I love about you is that you create content in a way that to me is not intimidating like you're not like like oh just just wrote a script or on you know a full 22 page script on my lunch break because I see uh, you know I, it's so discouraging when I see people that can put out stuff so quickly 
I'm just like, I'm never going to be you. And, and, and I love that you took time. You took like three years to work on your novel. And I, it's, that to me is encouraging. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, you know, everyone does it differently. There are people who take 10 years. Uh, I remember a, a friend, you know, when I told her three years for my novel or she was just like, er, you know, and he, but then, yeah, there are the people, you know, my sister's a writer. And I think in the time that I've written and, and put out a boy like me and I, I did work on Flutter and other things while working on a boy like me, but a boy like me being, you know, the only novel I put out uh, in the, you know, and I've worked on it for three years. My sister is a novelist and she's put out, you know, multiple novels in that time. And so I'm just like, I just want to shake her, but everybody works differently. Everyone has a, a different process, like we said. And, and uh, some people, you know, Bob Mould's been putting out a CD every 18 months for over 20 years. Love it. Um, but I also love that uh, I have a lot of favorite uh, singer-songwriters, like Amy Mann, who takes longer. Um, Amy Mann's a bad, not the best example. There are people that take a lot longer than her. But um, it's, uh, again, everybody's process is just just so different. So do you go through um, any any of the, the situations like, you know, writer's block or you, there's just an obstacle and you don't know how to get around it? Um, obviously, when you're workshopping, other people can help you figure out how to get through obstacles. But what do you what do you do if you're not there at a workshop or something and you're just home and want to bang your head into the monitor do you have or do you not have those moments do you just wait until until you can run it past somebody well what I do first my day job forces me to write because I write nonfiction features for it I write current events I report on the world so that does two things for me one it makes me write uh, you know when the the situation in Ferguson broke out. I had to write a feature about that in, the, in a day, and that's a lot to cover. And I also have to, it's news, so I have to be objective. And anything that gets me fired up, gets me angry, gets me emotional, that's always really hard because uh, I'm an emotional writer. So it's it's good training for that. Uh, you know, I can't, I can't be blocked because I, I'm getting paid and I have a deadline. It The job also helps me keep a perspective. So when I am blocked on my fiction or having a bad fiction week um, or, or just something's not right with my own private, my own personal writing, my fiction, uh, you know, when I'm reporting about what's going on in the, in the Middle East, uh, it's just really hard then to get upset because I'm hitting a wall on my comic or on my novel. Uh, so that helps me balance out what I do with my fiction writing is I, I always have two projects going at once. I try to stay away from more than that because then you get intimidated and then you get, oh, my God, what what do you know, I've got too much going on. But if I have two, then if I hit a wall with one, I can work on the other or if I need I need to avoid the one it's kind of like cooking you know you put something on the back burner and you, you focus on on one thing at a time but you have two things so that when you get blocked you can move to the other but the thing about working on two things at once that I always make sure that I do is they're not the same thing like I would never work on two novels at once I'd never work on two graphic novels at once I would you know work on uh, the balance a boy like me and flutter 
Flutter Volume 1 and 2 I worked on at, you know, at the same time. So I got to go back. I started with A Boy Like Me, and then I took a break, worked on Flutter Volume 1, and would go back and forth. And then I was still working on A Boy Like Me when Flutter 1, Volume 1, was published, and I started working on Flutter Volume 2. So I had these two projects that are so different. With Flutter, it's a comic. It's a graphic novel script. I'm collaborating with Jeff McComsey. He's amazing. Going back and forth with him. And then A Boy Like Me, the YA novel, is all a very solitary experience. And it's just great to have both of those going at the same time. So if you're going to do multiple projects, it, what, what has worked for me is that I keep it to two and I, I make sure that they're different. Oh, I like I like that. I tend to uh, be similar in that I, uh, I'm not usually working on just one thing at a time. And that's, that's more of like a, a creative thing f- for me personally where I don't want to say I get I get bored with something, but I might get stuck or, you know, whatever I was working on, I, you know, I can't write until the wee hours of the morning like other people. You know, I just am not that way. It's a miracle if I'm awake past 10. Um, so, you know, I might be awake, but I'm like, I'm usually like in bed really early, you know, like really super early just watching TV. And because my, I'm not... I'm not awake in a productive way. I'm not sitting at a computer and able to type unless something really, really drives me and, you know, and emotional like you. I mean, it has to be something usually sets me off and then it'd be like, okay, I've just put down 1500 words and, you know, sometimes that's, that's what it takes, but then I might go three weeks where I'm not writing. Because I'm just like, I don't know what to say. I literally feel like oh, I have absolutely nothing to say, <laughs> at least not above 140 characters. Well, and I think, you know, again, the emotional writer, you have to, you, you write, you can't write something that you don't care about. You know, it has to be something that moves you. I know writers like that, too, who go, I know musicians who will, you know, go a period of time because they have to feel it. You can't just dial it in, phone it in. You're an emotional writer. It has to be something you care about. And I, it also doesn't surprise me that you work on multiple things uh, at, at the time. And, you know, I, ha- I know people who work on many different projects at, at a time. For me, two works best. But you work on a lot of things because you, you care about a lot of different things. You're very passionate about a lot of different things, and you've got a lot of diverse interests. And I think it's important that you give time to all of that, to all of them, and and have an outlet for all of them. I wanted to ask you before, uh, before I let you go back to your, you know, life up there in in Boston, (laughs) um, I, I had started using Scrivener, and I was wondering if you were using any particular software to, because, um, Scrivener is a, is a tool, um, where there are templates and they've added a comic script template, which I have not checked out yet, but um, it uh, it did make it possible for me to create the ebook files that I needed. So um, that's where I had been writing, and I was originally just writing in a regular like Google document and then copied and pasted it in, which gave me some formatting issues and stuff. But I didn't know if you just use Microsoft Word or what your actual process is. Until very recently, I just used an old uh, Microsoft Word program. 
uh, WordPerfect, and just documents, um, not even DocX. And in fact, I, mine was so old, it caused me a lot of formatting problems with this novel when it came time to, okay. uh, to getting it to the printers. A uh, lot of extra work. Uh, and because I went with an indie press, a lot of extra work on my part. So I actually just had a friend very recently show me Scrivener. That's how, how do you say it? Can't even say it. I, I thought it was Scrivener. I'm Scrivener? not sure. Scrivener? See, yeah. this, is, this, this shows you how um, bad I am with this technology. But <laughs> she showed me that. I just downloaded it. And I, she showed me the comic script. It looked really good. Um, it, you know, for years there wasn't really a set comic script. And uh, because more writers and artists are working long distance, a a, a standard script is developing, I think. Um, And that program, they have they have that format in there. So it looks really good. I have used over the years final draft uh, for plays and and things like that um, for scripts. But I don't even think final draft has a comic script yet. I could be wrong. My final draft is so outdated too. So yes, um, I would uh, I would suggest using using what you're using, using something current. Don't yeah, don't go use an old Word document and then try to upload that for an ebook or send that right. to a printer. Okay, great advice. And um, uh, so once again, give everybody your links. Well, I am on. I have a website, JennyWood.com, and from there you can find where to buy Flutter and a Boy Like Me. I am on Twitter, JennyWood and Did. I'm also on Tumblr, JennyWood and Did. Okay, um, easy enough. <laughs> that's easy enough uh, and fantastic. And Two One Five Inc.'s website is is Two One Five I N K. dot com. Yeah. So I know that we're saying Two One Five Inc. I didn't want. Uh, anybody to think it was incorporated. No, um, thank you for that. And thank you um, for having me again. It's always just, it's so great to talk to you. Always, always. And um, I am really looking forward to New York and getting to meet more people that, you know, that you've pulled together for the reading there. Oh, and um, you know, when I was talking about that, I forgot to mention Jeff Krell. He was the last writer that we added recently. So he'll be there with us too. Great. And as soon as that's all confirmed and everything, we'll, of course, be uh, blasting through, you know, blogs and Twitters and stuff about um, reminding people about that event because it's uh, it's during Comic-Con and people tend to get inundated with yeah. press releases. So um, it'll, you know, we'll do what we can <laughs> to get the word to get the word out there amongst all of the, the eight million press releases that end up happening. Um but fantastic. Um, you guys can, of course, follow me at Elizabeth Amber on Twitter and everything else is at AmberOnMass.com. Uh, please join us if you can uh, October 4th and 5th at Comic Fusion and uh, come support uh, the artists that we're going to have in-house. I've, so far, the ones that I know of, we're going to have Nick McCoviak, uh Charles Wilson, Tom Schloendorn, Sarah Donner will come join and sing for us again. And um, Donna Gregory, Amanda Cantillion, and I think I'm missing one person. Um, but our our guest list we're we're working on, and hopefully we'll get firmed up really soon. So um, I also have a Tumblr, more specifically for the podcast. 
So if you look up Vodka Clock on Tumblr, you can find it. But I have the uh, what amounts to our press release for Superhero Weekend up there because that's a safe for work blog if anybody needs the information and doesn't know where else to get it um you can you can look for me there as well uh so jenny good luck uh with the book launch and i'm so glad that it all went well yes thank you so much and i'll see you in new york i'll see you there thanks for listening everybody